So look, over the last few months, we've been exploring a series, The Rhythms of Rest, so how to rest deeply in an age of anxiety. And the key scripture that we've been looking at is from Matthew, which is, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we've looked at a few things. We've looked at the annual rhythms of rest, looking at what it means to book your holidays, your annual leave each year before you book your work. How do you order your life where you start from rest and end with work? And uh, we're now heading into the weekly rhythms of rest, so in particular Sabbath. And what it means not just to take a day off, but to have an intentional, focused, habitual time of rest to nourish our souls, nourish our relationships, nourish our life in community. Last time I spoke, I spoke about the Old Testament and what the Old Testament said and what it commanded about Sabbath. That Sabbath was holy, that it's set apart, that it helps us to love God, that it helps us to love one another, uh, that it's a vertical and a horizontal command that holds all the commandments together and that it helps to form us as people, as the people of God, around rest and remembrance. Uh, but in the Old Testament, it is a command, and, uh, and in the New Testament, we see a slightly different flavour, and it's really important to read uh, what we read in the Old Testament in light of what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus doesn't throw away the Old Testament, but he does give it a new flavour. We look at it from a slightly different angle because of who Jesus is. So we're going to look at that today, and particularly, we're going to look at freedom the freedom of Sabbath, the freedom of rest, and what it means to discover the heart and the soul of Sabbath in Christ. And we're also going to get a bit more practical, because I want to move into, particularly next time we talk, a very practical framework for how do you actually design a Sabbath, if you don't Sabbath now, which is more difficult than it sounds in our post-Christian, secular, busy culture. I want to help you very practically with that. So we're going to move towards what that looks like today. So look, last, last year, uh, in my role, uh, in my business role, I was coaching a manager in government and they were constantly exhausted. They were busy, they struggled with focus and I asked her a question about her habits. I simply said, how do you rest? And look, Jenny's response was really honest. I love coaching, people can be really honest with you and, and it was quite... Uh, it stood out for me. And look, this, this is the best I remember. She said, I'm not sure I know what rest is. I don't know if I ever really rest. She went on. She said, I get up early and I work hard all week. On the weekend, I'm a taxi mum and I drive my kids to soccer and dancing and various birthday parties. We always have something on. And the best thing is when I get to crash on the couch with my husband and watch TV, maybe Netflix, you know, but that is when we're not working or studying in the week. I mean, sure, we have holidays and they're great, but even these are tiring. I mean, they're lots of fun, but last time we went and came back from Dreamworld, I think I needed a holiday from my holiday. And then she laughed. She said, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Is everyone's life like this and I, I didn't know how to answer her <laughs> and I think no not everyone's life is like that but yes increasingly more of us feel that way we feel constantly busy we feel sped up and in the digital world life has sped up and our weekends have become saturated with activity even if it's fun family activity and it makes us exhausted and tired and anxious and depressed at all the symptoms that we see around us and all the symptoms I see every day in my role, coaching leaders and managers and chatting with people from all walks of life. So John Mark Comer, a fantastic preacher from Portland, says that hurry is a form of violence on the soul. Hurry is a form of violence on the soul. That's quite strong language. What he's saying is if our lives were a constant rush, then we hurt ourselves on the inside. We lose the silence in ourselves. We lose the silence and peace in our soul. 
And you know, in a secular culture, as per Jenny's story, our weekends can be just so frantic, full of entertainment and activity, but not deep soul rest. And that's what many of us need. There's a social pressure. We experience it every day as parents. There's a social pressure to be busy and to be active and to follow the crowd, um, fix errands, do new things, browse the internet, you know, socialise on screens, kids' sport, like it's just so much stuff you, you get to Monday and you're not always peaceful so it is a form of violence on our soul and this is what I'd like to speak about today about the freedom that we can have as we follow God's word and enter his rest so Sabbath is not just a weekend and it's not just a day off and it's hard for us to grasp in our ever busy world okay it's it is a structured intentional and life-giving time i've got some points it's a holy time so it's 24 hours each week set apart for rest and remembrance it's the antidote to hyperactivity it's the antidote to hyper individuality it's the antidote to hyper consumption that we see everywhere um, it's the antidote to fear and exhaustion and overwork and it is an act of defiance and faith to take Sabbath because when we do, we say enough, enough worry, enough work, enough wanting, simply be. It's beautiful. I love the vision that Jesus gives us of Sabbath. So Jesus actually says a lot about Sabbath and I'm going to start with that. He says a lot about work, he says a lot about rest, he says a lot about human flourishing and, and what he says is truly beautiful. So I want to dive into the scriptures, into the Gospel of Mark. And it's right near the beginning of Mark. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to 27. I have the slides up here. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are we doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, look, this is an amazing story, and it's an amazing scripture. And the more I understand it, the more I love it. But on the surface, it's actually really hard to understand. I mean, Jesus in, is in a, a cornfield or a wheat field, and he's picking some grain, okay? And... Basically, some religious people, some Pharisees who controlled the religious environment, they were the power brokers of the day, they had a tanty and they didn't like the fact that he was walking through the fields picking some grain. I mean, what is that about? I mean, is Jesus trespassing? Um, are they worried that he's stealing food? I mean, maybe him and his disciples were really into wheat bix and the Pharisees were gluten-free. I mean, I, I don't know. Is this a gluten-free story? Maybe this is the first vegan confrontation. I don't know. But um, I don't think so. You know, so we need to understand the context of this story if we're actually going to understand why on earth the Pharisees are worried about Jesus eating wheat. So to understand the passage, we need to look at the context into which they're speaking. We need to understand the cultural, religious, and social context because it's not about gluten. Okay? So, why are the Pharisees uptight about Jesus eating wheat? Well, it's not about wheat. It's about Sabbath. And it's about what Sabbath is, and it's about what Sabbath isn't. It's about two conflicting imaginations of Sabbath. And not only that, it's about power. It's about who has power and authority, and who doesn't have power and authority. And when you look at it that way, it becomes a really big deal. You see... We looked at this uh, last fortnight. We look at the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments. Okay, so the fourth commandment is pretty simple. Essentially, it's remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Work for six, rest for one. The Sabbath is set apart. Remember it, observe it, keep it holy. It's pretty simple. It's relatively straightforward. But over time, with years and years of religion and tradition, 
it had become a complex and cumbersome web of rules and restrictions, a list of do's and don'ts driven by the Pharisees, and these rules weighed people down. So, in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, that we read today in the Old Testament, in the first five books, the Torah, there are 613 commands. Now, that's quite a lot of instructions, isn't it? But, by first century, by the first century, when Jesus walked the earth, the Pharisees had taken these 613 commands and they had added 1,500 more commands to the Torah. So they'd created an elaborate system of rules and regulations and they called it the Mishnah, not the Torah, and it acted as a form of control and regulation to add detail and detail and detail over what it meant to work, what it meant to not rest. The Mishnah was a burden, it was draining the life out of the Sabbath. You see, the Torah said don't work, but the Mishnah elaborated on this and it separated work into 39 categories prescribing what people could and what they couldn't do. And some of these rules, you know, they made sense. Okay, so you shouldn't farm and you shouldn't hunt on the Sabbath. I mean, that makes sense. But other rules were unexpected. I mean, people weren't allowed to tie or untie a knot. They weren't allowed to sew more than one stitch. They weren't allowed to write more than one letter on a page. Otherwise, it would be considered work. There were just rules after rules after rules. It was the Mishnah. And it's interesting, so I've been to Israel and I've, I've met some amazing people. I went to a Shabbat once and it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, but Orthodox Jews today, I mean, they have a lot of rules around the Sabbath. Uh, they, um, they still take the light bulb out of the refrigerator on a Friday night because if you open the door of the fridge on a Saturday and light a fire, then you are breaking the Mishnah because you're working. They, I love this, my favourite is they pre-tear toilet paper on the Friday night. You might bath, Joe, but they pre-tore toilet paper on the Sabbath because tearing is an act of work and so you can't work on the Sabbath. You know, so there's just rule after rule, or regulation after regulation. The heartbeat was to honour God, but it became something more than that. And they were rules created by Pharisees, they were created by men, not by God. And they sucked the life out of the Sabbath. It's important to know, yeah? And so, Jesus wasn't happy. I mean, Jesus didn't buy the Mishnah. He was not okay with man-made rules and regulations that pushed people down. And so, he had a different perspective on Sabbath and he challenged the traditions of the day. He challenged the traditions of the Pharisees. So, he didn't uncommand the fourth commandment, which some Christians have actually been confused by, uh, he actually honoured the Scriptures and he said not one letter of the law will be taken away. So he, he honoured the commandments, but he challenged the human pharisaical traditions that just put a heavy yoke on our shoulders and took our joy away. So let's go through this passage in more detail. Okay, Mark 2, 23-27 One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain field and his disciples walked along and began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So here is our first point of difference. It is unlawful to pick grain on the Sabbath. Now there is nothing in the Torah that says you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. It simply says do not work. But the Mishnah says you couldn't pick corn. So the Pharisees create a rule that God didn't. And so Jesus in the moment decides to take this opportunity to challenge their authority, their power and their tradition. And this is where it becomes interesting. Then he says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Now we read this and we, we miss the point, but it's really provocative. Like Jesus is really stirring these guys up. Um, it's a shock-inducing statement. So the Pharisees, they were the most educated, most religious, most dedicated people of the day. I mean, they knew the scriptures, they knew the scriptures off by heart, like the first five books, the Torah, like 
the book of Leviticus. They knew it off by heart. We struggled just to read it and they knew it word for word. And they dedicated their lives to teaching and living out the scriptures. They were passionate about the scriptures and about God. So when Jesus said, oh guys, have you never read the Bible? (laughs) It's pretty cheeky. I mean, it's like saying to a Muslim cleric, have you never read the Quran? Or maybe to a chemist or, you know, I don't know, a pharmacist, have you never looked at the periodic table? I don't know, a sci-fi fan, have you never seen Star Wars Episode Four? I mean, it's just getting silly now, but you get the point. And so Jesus, when he says, have you never read the scriptures? He was obviously trying to roll them up. He was trying to shake the equilibrium and disrupt them from their worldview in order to drive home a point. And this is the point. He tells next this bizarre, strange story that seems to have nothing to do with Sabbath at all. And yet it has everything to do with Sabbath. It's about a time when David and his army ate consecrated bread, holy bread, from the temple. So in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he basically says that he is able to to eat bread because he is not like the Pharisees. I mean, to us, we just think, what is this story about? But it really pushed the Pharisees' button, really, really did. Because, you see, David was the high king. He was the high king. He was the greatest king, sorry, of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. Uh, He was Israel's most revered leader in history the ruler of their empire, he was their greatest celebrity, he was very important to the Israelite people. And in Jesus' day, the Jews, the Pharisees, were waiting for a Messiah to rescue them once again from the Roman army. They were waiting for a God-king, a person like David, who was from the line of David, to come and rescue them. And the Scriptures promised that this new kingdom would be by a person who was David's descendant. And here Jesus is, not only challenging the mishness of the rules of the Pharisees, but he challenges their power because he infers that he can eat grain on the Sabbath because he is the new David. He is the Messiah. He is the God King. They would have exploded. (laughs) It challenged everything they believed. He was standing in the place of God and saying, I can eat corn and I can break your rules because I'm above your rules. I'm God. Then he brings his home. Uh, he brings his point home. He says, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." And this point is so important; it holds all the others together. I want to spend a bit of time on it. See, we struggle with this, and we've confused this statement big time as Christians, because we're not first-century Jews, and our culture is so entirely the opposite from a world where there are 1,500 religious rules and regulations around the Sabbath, that we kind of don't know how to look at it because we're looking at it from the wrong vantage point. So I want you to do two things. We're going to imagine ourselves as first century Jews and then we're going to imagine ourselves as 21st century progressive Hobartians. Okay? And then we're going to look at this same passage and see it from different angles and it will help us to live it out in different ways because I want to get practical. So imagine this. You're a first century Jew. Okay? There are 1,500 man-made rules about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath and everyone keeps them. It is a communal society. Okay, So uh, there are fixed social norms, there are deep family bonds and responsibilities, there's set career pathways. You do what your father did, who did what they did before, who did what they did before. Um, And the Bible is central. And And on top of this, there is a group of religious police called the Pharisees who have power and authority and they're on the lookout for anyone who breaks their rules. Is Sabbath a joy? Is it a gift? Is it wonderful? Is it freeing? It's not, is it? It's a burden, it's a religion, it's a heavy yoke, which Jesus talks about. And into this space, Jesus challenges the religious police and says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a f- He's freeing us from the constraints of religion. He says he wants the Sabbath to be a joy and a celebration and a gift and a delight. Uh, But the focus for 
the first century Jew, what they needed to hear most was that man was not made for the Sabbath. Do you follow? They need to hear that man was not made for the Sabbath, the second part of the statement. Now, we're going we're gonna to move forward, okay? <laughs> many, many centuries to today. It's 21st century. Imagine that. I mean, it's not as hard, probably. All right. And uh, you're living in a secular, individualized, self-oriented, self-obsessed society. It's a slightly different guy. Still got his beard, but he's a hipster now instead of a rabbi, all right? And um, so you live, you work, and you rest in a globalized, digital, hyper-individualized culture. It's post-Christian, it rejects religion, it's progressive, you know, all those kind of words. So basically what that means is God is dead. God's dead. I mean, there's something out there, the universe, the force, but they don't interact with us. They're not personal. They're out there and we basically get on with our lives. We define morality, not God. There's no rule book. We certainly don't know the Bible off by heart. In fact, we just say it's this old, irrelevant book. It's not sacred, it's not divine, and you have never even heard of the Sabbath. Right? And instead of a book from God that shapes our worldview, our morality, we make up our own meaning. That's, that's the way it works now. Where the center of the universe and the most important person in the world is me. So everything's been deconstructed, everything's fluid. I mean, if you want on a Saturday or a Sunday, you can do anything you want. I mean, you can email, you can work, you can go to festivals, you can do Netflix. I mean, there are no rules, there is no structure. Um, every day, Monday to Sunday, is basically the same. There is no holy, there's no sacred, no rhythm, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Thank you, Elsa. So the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we need to read this from an entirely different vantage point, and this is really important. So for us, as 21st century progressive Hobartians, rather than look at the second statement, we need the first. We need to focus on the fact that Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for humanity. It's a gift. We need it to be human and healthy and whole. It is life-giving. It is wonderful. Yeah? So we have two people here, a rabbi and a hipster, taking a selfie of himself. And look, as humans, I feel that we are prone to overcorrection as individuals and as a culture. And that's, I suppose, what I want to address. Because look, Martin Luther has this wonderful story, this parable about a, a drunk guy, and he, he gets onto a horse when he shouldn't, you know, I suppose the first drunk riding story, I don't know. So he, he's drunk, he gets on the horse, and he falls off because he's drunk. And kind of he staggers back up, he gets on the horse, and he falls off the other side again. And then Luther basically says that we are a culture of overreaction. We tend to get onto the horse, we fall off on one side, and therefore we think, oh, we need to then fall off on the other side, but neither are life-giving. Where you want to sit is actually on the horse. And I feel like we have gotten freaked out as a culture by the legalism of Orthodox Judaism. We've gotten freaked out by Catholicism. We've gotten freaked out by 18th century Puritanism and all the Sabbath rules and regulations that we put on our own shoulders and then we deregulated the whole lot and now we forgot about Sabbath altogether and it's killing us. You know, the Puritans in the 17th and 1800s, they went to America to create a society around Sabbath. We forget that. It's quite an amazing story and some of it was so beautiful but then it just became a bit constraining. It was illegal not to go to church. You would be fined if you broke the Sabbath. Okay, so it, it got a little bit legalistic. But nowadays, the only thing that's left from those Puritan days, you know, where they created blue laws and actually didn't have Sunday trading, which we inherited in, in Australia, I mean, that, that all disappeared, but not that long ago. I mean, nowadays, the only thing left is the fact that we pay our employees more on a Sunday and then we argue that we should do it, even though I see no reason why we should, since there is no Sunday, there's no church, there's no sacred, so why pay people more? But that's another story. You know, the only thing left in our society are these kind of tiny threads that remind us of an old day where there used to be Sabbath, but it is gone entirely and we rejected it and it's all now a fluid society. And, and I believe that we wanted freedom... But that freedom is exhausting us. And now we have a society that is busy, 
burnt out, anxious, tired, distracted, depressed constantly. And we need to go back to Jesus' words that the Sabbath was made for humanity. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for woman. It's inclusive language in the Scriptures. The Sabbath was made for me. The Sabbath was made for you. And it was made for us. It's life-affirming. It is soul-giving. It is the antidote to overwork. We don't have too many rules, is my bottom line. We got too few. And what Christ, I think, is calling us to as 21st century progressives is to reclaim the Sabbath. So let's pause for a minute and do a bit of reflection. Are you like this Orthodox Jew on the left? Restricted by too many Sabbath rules, too much religion, too much kind of too many community expectations? Or are you more like this hipster taking a selfie, you know, beautiful on the outside, but drained, anxious, concerned, worried on the inside, lacking Sabbath, no structure, no cadence, no rhythm to the way he rests, no rest for his soul? Just pause for a moment and just reflect. Okay. So I want to take this idea one step further and just give it a bit of a theological framework. So on the one hand, you have the Pharisees who drain the life out of Sabbath by having too many rules and laws. On the other hand, and, and we call that theologically, we call that legalism. Okay? Too many rules. On the other hand, we have 21st century secular culture with no Sabbath, no rules, no collective rest. And we, we call that theologically being burdened or strained by license. So we have legalism on one side and we have license on the other side of the scale. Now, legalism is not freedom. But license is not freedom either. Both are forms of slavery and both are forms of idolatry where we put ourselves before God and we end up feeling oppressed, just in different ways. They're both extremes and the sweet spot is in the middle the radical middle, which is life, abundant life, the life of rest, the life that Jesus promises. So legalism, license, and life. So in this scale, the lower numbers, let's say zero to three, represent legalism, so too many rules. The higher ones, you know, seven to ten, uh, represent license, so having too few structures to live well, and therefore we become addicted and hyperactive. And the middle is life, where there is abundant life and true rest. And so, look, it's really important because this isn't a political spectrum. We're not trying to find the compromising middle because that's just ugh, it's horrible. Do you know what I mean? It's not Congress in the States or, I don't know, I mean, probably Senate in Australia. But, but we're looking for what John Wimber calls the radical middle where you have these paradoxical tensions and you learn to straddle like you're riding a horse, balancing not too far left, not too far right, that radical middle ground of life-giving rest where you have Sabbath, but you allow it to be free. Does that make sense? It's really important. Somewhere between legalism and license. So, uh, just pause again. On a scale of 0 to 10, I want you to just think about where you are now. Pick a number. There's no half numbers, by the way. I know everyone loves half numbers. There's 10, that's enough. So, out of 0 to 10... Where do you think you are right now? This is a judgment-free space. You know, I just want you to have a bit of a self-assessment. Where are you now? And also, where do you want to be? So just reflect for a minute. And once you've picked a number, I'd like you to stand up. Now, totally grace-filled space, okay? We're all learning, we're all growing. But the question I want to ask is, if you are zero to three, okay, so if you're in the legalism camp where you feel that you have too many rules and restrictions, too many constraints, you're keeping Sabbath, but it's just too fixed, too restrictive, then stay standing, everyone else sit down. <laughs> oh, we love you. <laughs> you're fantastic. No, and I thought, oh, we've got two people who are standing. Okay, so I thought, I thought there might be some people standing, which is great. So what, my message for you is it's just amazing that you're keeping Sabbath. And it's beautiful, and God blesses that. The heart is, what might it look like for you to lean into God's freedom in it a bit more and to allow it to have enough flexibility that it's relational with Jesus, but not, not so much that it disappears altogether. Okay, so stand up again, everyone. What I would like is, see, 
You're, you're over the hard bit now, ladies. All right. <laughs> if you are caught, uh, if you're number seven to ten, okay, so uh, you basically are caught in secular license. You know, you know smashed avocado, but you don't know Sabbath. All right, so if, if you don't have enough Sabbath to feel like you have structure and deep rest, then stay standing, everyone else sit. Awesome. All right, so a few more people as I expected. So look, the message for you guys is we'll just, I'd encourage you to, to be blessed and to say, well, there's actually more life and more rest for you. Um, and what does it mean to move somewhere towards the radical middle to have a bit more structure, to be a bit more intentional in living a life of soul rest, uh, nourishing rest. And I'll get very practical next fortnight. Stand up again, and whoever basically was four to six, stay up and everyone else sit down. <laughs> Great. You guys, I'm really... And you know what I want to do? I just want to celebrate where you guys are at. And what we need is heroes who actually know how to walk the line of Sabbath between legalism and license. I feel like I'm between four and six as well. Um, sometimes I fall off either way, but generally I'm in, in the middle as well. So I just, I suppose, let's talk to those. I know there are others in our community as well who have been practicing Sabbath for a while. So, so talk to those guys and actually get a sense of how do they do it and what does it look like? And let's pray and bless and encourage each other. You can sit down. Thank you for being brave, especially in a small group. It's really tough. All right. So look, my point is that it's, it's a guilt-free space and there is grace here and there's freedom. There is such freedom in how we Sabbath. I mean, that's what the passage that we've read is about. But God calls us to walk as apprentices of Jesus. We are all on a spiritual journey and it is not where we start, it's where we're heading. And it's not like we ever get there because even now I find I fall off the horse sometimes. But the aim is to be able to take the next step towards the radical middle and to master something that looks like soul rest with Jesus. Is that worth going for? Great. So to help you with this, over the next two sermons, and then we're going to finish this series and move on. It's ended up being a bit longer than I thought, but I'm really passionate about this subject. So next um, fortnight, I got the date wrong, it's the 2nd of June, it will be to, um, we're going to look at how to design a Sabbath rest, and it will be a very practical talk Basically, how do you prepare, how do you plan, and how do you practice Sabbath observant, observance in the 21st century? How, we, how can we be obedient to Scripture and yet realize our context? Um, I love the stories from the 1950s, I love the stories from the 1800s, but context has changed. So we need to work out what does it mean to be faithful with where we're at uh, and to move towards that radical middle. We'll explore, uh, this is my little model, we're going to explore what it means to rest and remember, or rest and worship. Okay, so they're the two pillars of Sabbath. What does it mean to rest? What does it mean to remember? And we're going to look at what I call the five Ds. Um, what does it mean to pick a day? What does it mean to, well, prepare for Sabbath? I couldn't find a synonym in, uh, the, uh, in Google, so it's to do dish, dinner and dishes, or maybe to get dirtless is the other one I saw. Um, so pick a day, do the dinner and dishes. What are the do's? In terms of what do you do on Sabbath? What are the don'ts? What does work look like, basically? So what does rest look like? They're the do's. What does what uh, work look like? They're the don'ts. And what does it mean to disconnect from digital technology? Because for many of us, we need to recalibrate our relationship with that on this 24-hour day. Um, but I'm going to go into that next. The one thing I want to look at before we finish today is the day. And I simply want everyone here... If you want to go on this journey towards the radical middle and to reclaim Sabbath in a greater way, I want you to choose a day, 24-hour period of time. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to do anything or practice Sabbath yet because I'll show you in a fortnight what it looks like. But I just want you to commit to a 24-hour period of Sabbath, Sabbath observance once a week. So very practically, I mean, the, the day thing is a whole theological kind of, you know, if I had some Seventh-day Adventists here, I'd be in real trouble. But, but I mean, I, there are many ways Sabbath has been practiced. The Jewish people have always observed Sabbath on a Saturday. And, and most Christians throughout history have observed on a Sunday, which is the Lord's Day. But I, I think when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, there is actually great freedom in how we Sabbath. And I think we need to be creative here because we are in a cultural context which tears apart anything to do with Sabbath and it's actually really tough 
to actually create Sabbath. It's not the culture it once was. So, I mean, very practically, many of us work on Sundays and we are employed to work on Sundays. If you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, you're in retail, you're a barista, you're a chef. I'm a pastor. This is my work day. It's, it's tricky and I, I look at the Ten Commandments and I believe I can keep the Ten Commandments and Sabbath on a different day because I'm called to serve his church. Yeah? So, look, some people may not agree, but this is where I've come to. The, the day is flexible, but the command isn't. Uh, and also culture puts up massive barriers now. You know, sport is a classic. I mean, the Saturday and Sunday sport, a birthday parties, all the social engagement is so tough to work at. How do we Sabbath as families when the whole culture is set against Sabbath? So we're going to have to just wrestle through these things and navigate them, but I think the framework can help. So what I want you to do is just at least choose a day, a 24-hour period, and give it a go. Um, and whatever you choose, it needs to be able to be regular and it needs to be able to be formational in terms of habit formation in an intentional way. So three types of Sabbath. Uh, John Mark Comer, again, who I just love his stuff on Sabbath, from Portland in America, he, uh, he says this, um, For the Jewish people, the Sabbath began Friday evening and continued into Saturday afternoon, but today many followers of Jesus observe the Sabbath on Sunday. There aren't any rules anchoring the Sabbath, to a specific day of the week, we each experiment to find what works best in our lives and our schedules. Now, I reckon there's challenges for us because ideally, a people of God will Sabbath on the same day. But in reality, in our culture right now, I think that's a very, very tough ask for a community. I find it hard to Sabbath on the same day as my wife. You know what I mean? And the reality is we live in this individualist culture and I think the best place to start is at least to start practicing Sabbath. Okay, So there are three options that I suggest you consider when you pick a day. Here's the first. The traditional Sabbath. So that's Friday night to Saturday afternoon or evening. Uh, so basically, traditionally, you start and end 20 minutes before sundown. So this is what the Jewish people keep. Um, now, I, I keep that, f not for this reason, but because I work on Sunday, but I've found that starting Sabbath in an evening is a really, really powerful way to kickstart the ritual and break the routine of work. I don't know why, but there's something about the evenings which just feels so much more kind of resettable than the morning when I'm just so half asleep and everyone wakes up at different times. So, look, I can, it's a beautiful rhythm. It's worth thinking about, um, especially if you work on Sunday. The second option is the Sunday Sabbath, so the Lord's Day, which Christians have kept for a long, long time, uh, and that includes attending the church service, the church gathering. And again, look, it's possible to choose a day, a full day of the week on a different day, but look, Sundays works really well. And look, the last one, I'm call it the TC Sabbath, the Together Church Sabbath, because we just make stuff up anyway, all the time, don't we? we always have. So, the DIY <laughs> TC Sabbath, what if... Um, what if, if you didn't work on a Sunday, what if you were to start Saturday night with a ritual, a bit of a rhythm, light some candles, I'll talk about that, what, looks, what it looks like, and then finish with Sunday afternoon little church or Sunday afternoon big church. So there's a sense where you have the quiet, meditative, reflective stuff, but then you get to celebrate and worship as a community, which is a really important part of Sabbath. So look, they're just some ideas. I mean, you can pick what you feel compelled to pick. But I think there's freedom and there's command and somewhere in the between we have to hold this intention. So pause for a minute. What day in the week will you pick? Commit it to your heart. I won't ask what you're going to do, but who has a day that they think they could use? I mean, I know it might take some time. But yep, one person. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Excellent. All right, if you haven't got a day, please brew on it and really reflect on it. So to finish, look, I just want to share my story about what Sabbath looks like for Kai and I and our family, Naomi, Caleb, Jethro, and what does it look like for the five of us? I mean, it changes, and next week I'll talk about the difference in season in terms of babies versus families, single, you know, retirees, etc. It does change according to our stage of life, but um, right now, um, Sabbath at our best can be really beautiful. Now, we're not always at our best. Um, sometimes our Sabbath, in the words of John Mark, is Sabbath-ish, and it could be more Sabbath, <laughs> but um, we always have Sabbath. 
even if the quality isn't always amazing. But more and more and more it is. And it is life-giving and it's beautiful. So even though it changes over time, it changes with our, our rhythm and it changes with our maturity in Sabbath as well. But it is a journey towards faithfulness in Jesus. So this is what we do. So Friday evening to Saturday evening is our Sabbath as a family. And again, it's purely pragmatic because I work on Sundays. And it makes Saturday a logical option because that's when we're together as a family. I come home early from work on a Friday night. So um, 4.30, well, 4.30, 5 o'clock. It's a bit early for me. And I dive into frantic activity and I enter frantic activity because we're frantically cleaning the house and we are preparing for this holy day, this little mini holiday which we have every week. So we're preparing for it. And the preparation is very, very important. Um, I'll talk about Heschel's stuff later on next fortnight, but the preparation, he says, is almost as important as the Sabbath itself. So your capacity to rest is dependent on your capacity to prepare. So that's important to reflect on. So I vacuum the carpets, I, I do the dishes, I get the kids to do their jobs, JJ does his dishwasher, Caleb's sweeping the house, Naomi's done the toilet, so basically we're all really frantic. Kylie cooks not for the night, but also for the, the next night, um, or at least has a plan so that we can eat really quickly without any effort the next day. And basically the house is reset and we're ready to go. Okay, so Jethro said to me, I think two weeks ago, Dad... Sabbath's meant to be about rest, and we work harder on the Sabbath. <laughs> and I'm like, no, JJ, we work harder before the Sabbath, but you never do the dishwasher. We leave all the dishes on Saturday, and we all have heaps of fun and eat dessert. And he's like, oh, yeah, all right. So we're going to work hard before, but then we have Sabbath. So that's what we do. And then uh, around dinner time, we sit down as a family and pull out two candles as Jewish people have done for millennia, and we light two candles, we pour some wine, and we start our Sabbath. And, and we ask our children when we light the candles, or well now they're fighting over who can light them, don't tell Kaz, but um, we light the candles, and, uh, and, and we say, what are the candles for? And, and the kids say, oh, this one is for rest, and this one's for remembrance. And why do we rest? Because God worked six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And why, what do we remember? We remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, because he loves us. So it's a ritual. We kickstart Sabbath. We drink wine. Sometimes we break bread. We'll often look at the candles and just pause for a minute, and just look at the light, and I will stop because I find it hard to stop working. And I don't know what the kids are doing, but I'm centering myself in Jesus and saying it's time for rest. It's really beautiful. I'm, I love it. And sometimes we'll bless each other. Um, sometimes we'll read some scripture. But then we eat, we laugh, we have time together. And then we do something really Sabbath-like. We have family movie night. And now that the kids are older, it's not like... I don't know, in the night garden, which I want to vomit at. You know, it's actually cool movies. Like it's, We're watching me versus... You, I don't know, me versus wild, you know, Bear Grylls, I don't know, something really cool. So we, we basically watch TV as a family, which we never do except for Friday nights. We go to bed early because bedtime and sleep is really, really important for Sabbath. We need to actually rest. And I turn off my phone, my you know, laptop, get rid of the digital stuff, go to bed, we're ready for Sabbath. So it's a bit of a ritual, okay? And then Saturday morning, wake up and it's a family day. It's relaxed. You know, I love the thing about Saturday, we try to have no plans. Now, I'll talk about the curse of soccer next time we catch up, but on our best Sabbath, <laughs> we have no plans. Um, forgive me, I've sinned. So, um, but, but we take it as it comes, and it's beautiful. You know, the kids are a bit older, so we sleep in. I mean, Kai and I will sleep in or just mooch in bed until like 8, 8.30. We'll read books, and um, you know, Kai will go get a coffee and have a cup of tea. The kids go upstairs, and they watch TV, and they just love it. It's their time to just chill out and be kids and have fun. So we do stuff that's restful for us. They do stuff that's restful for them. I know that breaks kind of traditional Sabbath, but it's what we do as a family right now, and we might change one day. Uh, later in the morning, we hang out, we eat pancakes sometimes, we go to the pool, we have heaps of chips, but we always have dessert. And on Sabbath, because it's Sabbath, you get lots of dessert. So, I mean, um, the kids get to eat dessert in the day sometimes. You know, I'll just say, oh, it's like Naomi will come and say, can we have ice cream? Oh, it's 11 o'clock. 
all right, it's Sabbath. <laughs> so I was like, woohoo, it's Sabbath. You know, a few weeks ago, we were like, they were disappointed because I was injured and we were going to go to All You Can Eat Pizza Hut. And I'm like, well, let's just do All You Can Eat Pizza Hut at home. So you can have $10 each, but you have to buy real food for lunch and the rest you can buy whatever you want. So we went to Woolies, but the sneaky kids, they pulled their money and they found 24 party pies for $4.50. Now, how much money is that left over for sweets? It got ridiculous. Like, I looked at, they had ice cream and chocolate and biscuits. I just, I had to pull the pin on the, the $30 thing. It was just getting out of control. But they came home, piled tons and tons of chocolate on their ice cream, ate party pies, which is their healthy lunch. And we said, it's Sabbath! Woo! You know, because Sabbath is made for man. It's got to be fun. It's got to be life-giving. There's rest, but there's also worship, you know, and that's where we pray, we, we read scripture. I walk in the afternoon because I'm a raving introvert, so I do my time with God. Sometimes I chainsaw, which is my other way of just chilling out because I love being active, and for me, that's rest. You know, we're all different, and we'll talk about what rest and work means later on. But, um... I also keep my phone off for the day. So I turn off my phone, I don't turn it on again. Um, I'll often check it, maybe 10 o'clock or maybe in the afternoon to see if anyone's texted about a social thing, but then I turn it off because I don't have the discipline not to check my email or not to think about it or not to look at Google News or not to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that, for me, that's work. And I'll talk about that in a later sermon. But I, I am very careful with the way in which I use technology because I engage with work and rest in a way that is faithful to God. So look, I hope that's helpful. I mean, the end of Sabbath is a bit of a meh for us. We kind of just finish and then we get on with stuff. I, I don't know how to ritualize the end of Sabbath. But by the time we finish it, we feel full of life. Our family is connected. We feel connected with God. We feel soul-nourished and we're ready for another six days. You know, as Walter Brueggemann says, those who keep Sabbath, it changes every other day. And, and I'm so thankful that the Sabbath was made for man uh, there are some rules for us which we create. Is it restful? Tick. Is it worship? Tick. If it's either one, we do it on the Sabbath. If it ain't, we don't do it. So there are some do's and don'ts. But we need to reflect on what it means for us as introverts, extroverts, active, passive people. What do we do for work? I'll talk about that next time. But it's beautiful. A and it's ordinary. That's what I love about Sabbath. It's a mini holiday every week. Um, I'd like to finish with words from Jewish journalists. She writes a beautiful book on the Sabbath, Judith Shulevitz. And she says this, There is no better point of entry to the religious experience than Sabbath. For all its apparent ordinariness. Because of its ordinariness, the extraordinariness of the Sabbath lies in it being commonplace. Isn't it just like God to make something so simple and so spiritual and so beautiful as a day of rest? So as we move into communion, another very simple, very beautiful, very spiritual sacrament where we remember his body and we, we drink of his blood, we're just going to return to Jesus' final statement. And in his final statement, um, which I haven't talked about yet, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, who is the Son of Man? Who is he referring to? Yeah, himself. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is our true rest. Jesus is the person of God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus never removed the Sabbath. He didn't uncommand it. He blessed and transformed it and he put himself at the center of Sabbath. He said, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He proclaimed himself to be God, the new David, the Messiah. And he said, if you come to me, you will receive rest. You need the person of Jesus and the practice of Jesus and together we become transformed. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is a promise from the Messiah, Jesus. Rabbi Jesus, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. His yoke, not the Mishnah. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For I am, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that is in Matthew 11, okay? And in Matthew 12, the very next story 
in the Gospel of Matthew. Can anyone guess at what story Jesus tells immediately after that promise? There's a story about walking in a grain field, picking wheat. It's the same story, and they're connected. The promise of God's rest is directly connected with Sabbath. The story after that is also Sabbath, where Jesus heals a withered man's hand and says we do it on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is for healing. So they're connected. We need to see the promise in connection with the practice. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and Sabbath is his means for us entering into his rest. It's beautiful. So rather than rules, Jesus offers us rest, and rather than legalism or license, he gives us life, and he instructs us but invites us to enter his rest. So as we share communion, the the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, he invites us to enter his rest because he was broken for us. So, look, this is a graceful space, and I know that Sabbath is a challenge for some of us, but we all want his rest. So we don't have to do anything to receive Jesus, and he blesses us with his rest just as we are right now. And that's why we have communion, because we're in a free, grace-filled space because of who he is. Father God, I am so thankful that you are Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you that you are our rest. Thank you that as we come to you with empty hands, you fill us. And I thank you, Jesus, that there is nothing we have to do to earn your rest because you bless us with your rest because of what you did on the cross. But I pray that out of that place of having received your forgiveness and love and mercy, that you might help us to walk into a new rhythm and a new cadence and a new practice of Sabbath so that we can experience it for ourselves in the everyday. Not out of legalism, but out of grace. We thank you for ice cream. We thank you for laughter. We thank you for candles. We thank you for life. And we thank you that you break the bondages that bind us and that you give us true rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.